0: Welcome to the C3 Church Watson podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. All right. Pastor Mel, our senior minister, is not here today. Sorry about that. Um, But she said to me, I'm trusting you. It's a brand new series. Can you kick it off for us, please? Yes, I can do that, Mel. So that's what I'm doing. A new series is called Follow at Jesus. This is a series about discipleship. Who's heard that fandangled Christianity sort of word before, discipleship? Ever heard of that? few people, three people. Awesome. Boy, you're in for a treat. Lots to learn. Because um, we're going to be talking all about discipleship and what it is. And possibly, I don't know, I'm not preaching all the other weeks. There'll be other people next week and the week after. And they might preach about what it's not as well. What it is and what it's not, discipleship. Because Jesus, when he was walking around on earth, he might have looked at times like he was just kind of hanging out with the boys. You know, just hanging out, hanging out. Sometimes hanging out with three guys. Sometimes just hanging. Sometimes hanging out with 12 at once. Yeah, just a bit of a group thing. Yeah, we're just hanging, just hanging out. And then later, in his ministry life, it seems like those 12 might have recruited another six each or something. Because then it became, well, we're hanging out with 72 disciples now. We're just hanging out. Just hanging. But it wasn't just hanging. It was hanging with purpose. So, um, it was discipleship that Jesus was up to. So, we know that because the Bible now refers to them as his disciples. Because he was discipling them. He cared about them deeply. I don't want you to think, all right, well, if I'm hanging out with people with purpose, that means, you know, I've got to have my checklist. And, you know, Jesus was, didn't even care about them. He was just producing robots that would do the, you know. that's. It's not like that. It's personal. And he cared about them deeply. And it was kingdom all at the same time. And you'll find when you hang out in a caring relationship with someone and there's kingdom in it, it's a great thing. It's a great vibe. It's the best kind of interaction on earth. It's really, really good. And it's called discipleship. It's not just being together for no reason. So you can both stare at the wall together. You're doing something as well. But Jesus himself was also discipled. And that gives me great hope. While I'm being discipled, well, I'm even the Messiah had to be discipled. And I love that about God's plan. I guess he could have had a different plan. I'm just going to rock up on earth. I'm going to be 25 years old at the time and I'm going to know everything about my purpose and I'm just going to hit the ground running and crack it out. But no, his plan involves arriving as a baby that requires 24-7 care to survive. And then growing up through the terrible twos and learning to do what daddy says. And then being toilet trained. And, you know, later on being progressing through some pretty serious Jewish training to uh, an age of 12 and then 14 when he would be considered an adult in that culture and learning all about self-discipline and some character development and that sort of stuff. He had to go through all of that. So I don't feel like I'm out here by myself being the only person who needs a bit of discipline or discipling. See the similarity in those words? So... I think about who disciples me and who has discipled me during my life. When I ask myself that question, the very first answer that pops out at me, just like that, is my dad. My dad. Spent a fair bit of time with him, you know, when you come home from school from three o'clock in the afternoon until you go to bed, and then when you get up in the morning, you're having breakfast, and all that time, it's me and dad hanging. We're just hanging out. Just hanging out. He taught me to shave but that's not quite what I'm talking about. When I was baptised in water, when I was five years old, and you might have heard in the announcements that Tom was talking about, we have a water baptism next week. When that happened to me, I was five years old. Um, And it was my dad who explained it all to me and double-checked that I knew what, what what he meant and what was going to happen, and I really wanted to do that. And I decided in my simple way, at the age of five, that that I I absolutely wanted that. So I did. And he also actually baptised me in the water. Um, When I was filled with the Holy Spirit at the same age, at the same time, I did not need a theology lesson and to fully... Can you unpack everything for me and explain it all to me fully before I agree to yield to this process and try and strive to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It just happened to me. And I had to catch up on all the theology later. Dad's going, oh, I've got a bit of explaining to do when we get home. All right, uh, here's what just happened to you. And it's happened to millions of people before. And it's okay. And, you know, for a Christ follower, it's quite normal. And starts, you know, unpacking it for me. That's my dad still. When I prayed when I was a kid, we're going to pray about that, Dad says. Let's just pray about it. God knows. He'll, he'll work it out. Okay, cool. So we pray. And then two days later, he goes, how's that thing going? That thing we prayed about? Oh, yeah. It's all fixed. All right, we'll pause. Let's thank God for that. Because we prayed, things changed. Let's keep track of that. Let's not just go, well, we prayed and what happened after that? Oh, I don't know. Don't do that. And so he teaches me all of this stuff about prayer, about spirituality. Every time, at the drop of a hat, my mum would get her Bible, sometimes her concordance as well, out off the shelf, when we just had people around for dinner or people just dropping in for a cup of tea and they'd ask a question about something and she'd go, it's interesting, you should ask that. And she'd drag her Bible over and she'd just start flipping through, you know, and that's related to this scripture here in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, it gets repeated by this person. Isn't that interesting? And she would just unpack an understanding of the Bible with me, but also with just about anyone who would listen. And that's the kind of discipling that was happening in my house. She taught me that there are guiding principles in this kingdom that you've just become a part of, and they are different to the culture of the world that you're living in. But they are 100% tried and true. They've always been right, and they're always going to be right. You, that the, you know, the, the prevailing culture can evolve and shift and go, oh you be, need to move with the times. But this is never going to move with the times. This principle right here, it's never going to change. No matter how much the world changes, that's going to be the same. And I, she taught me all of this stuff. That gives me the, the feeling in my life of a permanence and a bedrock that sits underneath me so that, you know... I, other people look at me and go, how come you're not troubled by that? What's wrong with you that you're so strong all the time? Blah, blah, blah. And I go, well, it ain't me. It's not just me. It's I have to give some credit to my parents because of the way they discipled me. I lost, totally lost where I'm up to. Okay. It's good. It's all good. It's all right. Just give me a second. <clears throat> All right, in fact, if you asked my wife, she would, unfortunately, she would not say that it was my roguish good looks that attracted her to me. She would say, if you really quizzed her, as a matter of fact, the first answer that would come out would be, actually, I, I get that you're imperfect, you're a human, I get all of that, but in spite of all of that, your faith is what made me really hone in on you. And now we've been married for 27 years, so... Girls, you need a man of faith. Just, just saying. <coughs> huh? What? Oh, thanks, Dale. That's nice. Good, excellent. Um, all through the years, in three different churches and three different locations, meeting in groups has been a theme for me. I remember meeting in, you know, Mum and Dad. Well, the whole family's going to group. We're going to group tonight, and I would sit in the lounge room with all the adults all the young adults, all the teens, just the whole mix of anyone who was in that group. And we would discuss things together and we would pray together. We would stand together about stuff that was happening in our lives and we would support each other and we would learn from each other. And that was just normal. Everybody went to a group. It's just normal part of life. And it's part of discipleship. I changed along the way and what motivated me to go to group changed a bit. I've been in groups as a member where I just, there's interchange and I contribute and I support others, and I, you know, but I also get supported, and I receive, but I've also been in groups as a leader of the group, which is different, and it grows you differently. So, if you've been going to groups for ages, but you've never been a leader of a group, maybe it's time for you to give that driver's seat a try. You'll get plenty of support. There'll be people On the church staff and other people around you who'll help you to succeed as a leader of a group but so there's nothing to be scared of um, but it will definitely grow you differently different very different to just going along to the group and so consequently because i've been in so many groups along the way i can stand in that auditorium in that in that foyer out there after church and i can go well i've been in a group with her And those guys and him and that whole group there and those guys over there. And I can point out 50 people I've been in a group with at some stage. Now we might not be in a group right now, but when we were, we were in a certain season, we went through certain stuff. And we stood together. We had the camaraderie of people in the trenches together. Because we were doing life and you know, they needed me to bolster them sometimes and I needed them to bolster me back other times. And we went through it. And we got that bond. And if you really want to feel like you belong at church, try a group. If you don't like it, try another one. If you don't like that one, try another one. People won't be offended much. <laughs> oh, you didn't like my group. Oh. No, they'll, they'll get over it. It's okay. Um, right. So I guess discipleship happens on two levels, family and community. So let's just look at family for a second. In Luke chapter 2, in verse 11, the angels are talking to shepherds in the field and saying, hey, guess what? Someone just got born over there. And it's pretty significant, pretty historically earth-shattering. Today in the city of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now, these guys might not have been scholars, but they were Jews and they understood that language. I understand what you just said. Didn't you just say the the much prophesied one, the Messiah is here? Is that what you just said? It would have been blowing their minds. Well, come on, guys, we've got to go and have a look. What about the sheep? Oh, they'd be right. <laughs> Maybe they took them with them. Hey, here's three shepherds and five thousand sheep. Um, and then they go in and they go and announce it because they sort of show up. What are you doing here? Well angels appeared and said this amazing message to us. And in in verse 19, it says, they were all amazed at what, but Mary reacted differently. It says that she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. That's how she responded to that word from God. She wanted to remember, she wanted to get it right, and she wanted to dip back into it later in life. I ask myself, did Mary preserve these prophetic words and educate her son in them? As he came to the age of reason and he could understand what she meant, did she start taking him to school and saying, so you had this word about you, you had that word about you, you had that word about you, and, you know, you are a miracle baby because I conceived you without even being with a man. So that means... You know, I provided the egg only, and God provided the seed. So, you know, you're like fully God and fully man at the same time. And that's weird, but that's who you are, so you better wrap your head around it, son. And, you know, when we bumped into your cousin John, while you were still in the womb, you were leaping around because there was a spiritual encounter happening with John the Baptist. She would have told him all the stories, right? She would have taken him right through it while he was growing up. Around the kitchen table, a discussion at night would be, so, if Jesus really is the Messiah, what will that be like? And speculating about what his future might hold, and I mean, that's what would happen in my family. If someone said, oh, well, you know, uh, you've been chosen as the future Prime Minister, you're only 12, but that'll happen much later in life, but we would all start talking about it. Well, what's it going to be like? The responsibility the you know how's it going to be and what are things going to be like later in your life will it all be the same will the romans still be occupying or will they be gone you know we would just be thrashing it out also jesus was a jewish boy so he would have had school serious school by the time he was like 12 13 years of age he would have had an intimate knowledge of the first five books of the bible he might have even been able to recite them that's some serious discipleship. As a school teacher, I'm afraid <laughs> at the thought of trying to teach someone that much information about the first five books of the Bible in such a short amount of time. Discipleship starts at home. Starts at home. Courtesy of none other than his parents. Joseph doesn't get mentioned much, but I bet you your life he was involved. Heavily involved. A boy cannot grow up, you know, with... Self-control and all that sort of stuff and character development without something from a a significant male role model. They need it. They need that input. So one of the biggest lessons you can demonstrate for family is this thing from Mary right here. How do you handle and manage prophetic words over you when they come? Pastor Phil said two weeks ago that we actually play a role in the fulfilment of those words, all the way to their full potential. They might not come off if we don't engage with them and remind ourselves about them and expect them. If we just dump them on the shelf and forget they ever happened, then they become kind of powerless in our lives. But that's not what Mary did. But when you see uh, that when when your disciple sees whoever that is, in this case, I'm talking about our family, and when they see you remembering them, reminding yourself about it, engaging with them, praying about it, looking, I wonder how it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen because there was that word. Then they will copy you. They will imitate your faith. That's what faith looks like, obviously. When you get a word, you do that. So now I've got a similar kind of relationship with my kids, a similar experience through their childhood So, even though I sort of take it for granted a little bit, and they probably do too a little bit, um, they've had exactly the same experience of, well, let's think about what that means when the Bible says that. Does that apply to this situation at school and your argument with your friend? I think so. How? Like this? Oh, yeah. You don't have to have a formal Bible study every night. Okay, it's 6.15... Everybody at the table, please. We will not finish until 6.25. But examine the biblical reasons that you made some choices. Don't just do all secret parent business and don't let your kids know. Say, well, actually, it's interesting. We decided that because of this principle that we believe in. We believe in the principle of honour. And we just felt that if we did that, it would be dishonourable. But if we did this, it would be properly honouring that person. And we don't have to agree with them to honour them. So that's what we decided to do. Even though it cost us more money, we decided because of a biblical principle. And your kids go, hmm. And the more things like that you explain, the more things that they they are getting kingdom culture as a disciple just built into their lives. Explain to them how you felt convicted by the Holy Spirit. So you went and apologised and asked for forgiveness from that person don't just do it in secret, say to them, and then they'll say, well, what did that feel like, dad, with your conviction, how did that feel, well, it's interesting, it sort of feels like you've got a knot in your stomach, and it's really uncomfortable, and, and you feel like you can't be comfortable until you go and deal with that thing, you know that they're connected, so, and it builds up like pressure, you go, no, I won't, no, no, I won't, and the more you do that, the more the pressure builds, till eventually you go over there and go, "Okay, let's just get this done." So you apologize and ask for forgiveness, and the person forgives you, and then you go, "Oh, wow, what sweet relief!" Explain that to them—the whole thing, how it feels, everything. Because when they feel that way, they'll go, "Hey, this is what, this is what Dad was talking about." Um, hmm, where am I in my notes? <laughs> If you're an older sibling, it doesn't have to be parents and children. If you're an older sibling, think about how you're, you can disciple and model and explain your faith for younger brothers and sisters. Discipleship of nephews and nieces who don't even know the Lord can be powerful. And who knows that discipleship doesn't start when you receive Christ. It starts way back here, when someone's talking to you about it. And you're going, yeah, I'm not really ready for that. Hmm. Still seed planted and then later on someone different is having a bit of a conversation with you about something else that's related but not exactly the same thing and they're watering it and there's more watering and more watering and then eventually you reach a place where you're ready but all of that's discipleship too you can even respectfully disciple a parent your parent I've seen it, I've seen it happen, I've seen my dad do it with his parents, because he was the first believer in his house, they were very religious, they sent him to a religious school, they did all the religious stuff, but they didn't really have any hard experience, they didn't know why they were doing it, they just felt it was the right thing to do, and so he grew up with all the ceremony and all the performance, but then he actually received Christ and had an encounter with God, and realised God was alive, and could... Interact with him, and he was the first person in his family that that happened to. So then he found himself trying to figure out how to explain his faith to his parents, who had done all the other training of him and helping him to grow up when he was a child. Interesting. Genesis 22: Abraham has a miracle child. I waited decades. He finally arrived, and then God says, Good, now I want you to go and sacrifice him beg your pardon, this is one of the weirdest stories in the Bible, I want you to give him to me as an offering. Now God never intended for Isaac to lose his life, that wasn't the point, the point was loyalty, dedication and sacrifice, willing to obey because of strong faith. God was proving to Abraham that he had enough faith to do that proves. A test is supposed to prove. It's not supposed to be failed. It's supposed to be passed. Stamp, tick, move on to the next thing. That's what they're for. So Abraham says to the servants in verse 5, he says, knowing that God has told him to go and kill Isaac, he says, we will worship and then we will come back here to you. So wait here. We will be back. And then, in verse eight, Isaac goes. Um, so we've got the wood. We've got the matches. Oh no, we don't. Matches weren't invented yet. We had the bic lighter. We've got the bic lighter. But uh, no offering. No offering, Dad. Might have overlooked a small detail there. And Abraham says, God will provide the offering. Don't worry. God's got the offering all sorted. Then God provides, spoiler, you know, there's a ram. It's all taken care of. It's, it's a satisfactory substitute. And then they, they give that place a name. The name is quite long. I'm glad my name's not that long. On the mountain of the Lord, God will provide. Stay tuned for a preaching over of the offering from Stu about that particular verse coming up in the future sometime. So trials will come. Jesus said, I can guarantee you you going to have some trouble in this life. It will happen. Expect it. It's coming. You're not trouble-free and immune just because you have a relationship with me. But our families, our disciples will watch how we respond. How do you behave when you're going through a difficult time? What's it look like? What does faith look like when you're in difficulty? Well... In seemingly impossible situations, just watch me and learn how to walk and live in faith. Then when God comes through, how are you going to react to that? They're watching. They're going to imitate you. We testify to others that he's faithful. We give him, some, we give him all the credit for it and we give him some praise. That's how we respond when it all comes off. We don't go, oh, that was lucky, and dismiss it. We go, hang on, pause. Let's just take a minute here. We remind ourselves of it down the track and we use it as fuel to build a stronghold into our life, not a negative stronghold, not a wrong way of thinking that needs to be torn down, a positive stronghold. God has come through over and over and over again and now I've got this strong tower inside me and whenever something comes up, oh, this is going to be difficult. But anyway, just lean on your strong tower. It's going to be all right. Don't know how we're going to get through it, but we are going to get through it come through before, can't see why he wouldn't do that again. As part of discipling his son, King David in the Old Testament was determined to give Solomon some qualities that he did not possess himself. Any parent can relate? I've got, you know, I'm a bit of an angry man, I don't want you to be like that, so I'm going to try to give you qualities that I did not possess myself when I was growing up. We all want that, we want to help them avoid you know, mistakes we made and all that sort of stuff. So you get that. David had passion. His big thing, he had passion. Maybe a little too much. Know what I mean? Um, Dancing in a loincloth, being embarrassing, sleeping with someone else's wife and then having him murdered to cover it up. Conspiracy. You know, but, boy, he was a warrior. And that's where the passion was supposed to be. When he sinned with Bathsheba, he was supposed to be out on the battlefield. His passion was very important for that season in Israel, very important during that time. But then a new season was coming and God needed some, someone with different qualities. And he's going, uh, I've got a bit of a problem with that. Um, what's my big problem? What do I lack? Wisdom. As a matter of fact, every time I clap eyes on you, Solomon, I'm reminded of the biggest lack of wisdom thing I ever did. So, what if David purposefully went about impressing upon Solomon the importance of wisdom through his whole childhood? Every teachable moment, you know what? Wisdom would do this. Do you think David let Solomon in? You know, you're a bit older now. Why don't you watch I've got this complicated decision to make. It's got political ramifications and economic factors. So here's all the stuff that's in play. Here's the decision I've got to make. What do you reckon? You're 15. What do you reckon? Uh, uh, You know, says something. Yeah, cool. That's good. Yeah, that's good thinking as far as it goes. But what about this and that? Yeah, I don't know. All right. Step back. I'm going to invite the advisors in. They're all going to come and they're going to tell me stuff. You listen. So all the advisors do all their thing. And then he goes, okay, thank you, and dismisses them. And he goes, so, what do you reckon? We you reckon about what they said? Do you think David is taking Solomon to school in the school of wisdom? Because I think so. If he was, what kind of person would that create? Do you think it would create the kind of person who, if God said to him, I'll give you anything you ask for, he would go, I just want wisdom. So, yeah, we give Solomon this credit for that incredible decision However, what about the person who raised him to be the kind of person who would make that decision? We want to steer our kids away from our mistakes. I I made some terrible financial decisions when I was a young adult. My children are not doing that. So, you know, one tiny thing, one factor. Tick, good job. Okay, so far. Um, But take it further than that. Not just don't make the mistake I made and be a klutz. How about further than, deeper than that? How about build into them on purpose the stuff, the reservoir of qualities that you want them to have and that are going to stand them in good stead? Because we want them to stand on our shoulders, right, and take it further than we ever have. Anyone in here the first person in your whole family who's ever been to university? Anyone? Yeah. So... Yeah, so you, you're carving new ground. But when you're raising your child, you want them to assume they'll be going to university and getting serious qualifications and doing something really significant. And so you want them to stand on your shoulders and go higher than you went, right? Achieve something more than you could do. Don't start back there. I've already sorted that. I'll include that in my discipleship program while you're growing up. And you can start from here. This can be your new ground zero, where I've already arrived at. Some people listening today, you haven't had that positive discipling from your family. I get that. Family's a difficult subject, and not everybody's in the same boat as what I've just described. You might think you you might as well be living in Pixie Lands too compared to what I've experienced. I get that. Maybe you're the first Christ follower in your family. Everyone else is atheist and you're like, well, I'm, it's just me. <laughs> so where am I going to get my discipling from? That's okay. It's okay. Maybe you just haven't had people in your family who have been equipped or cared or tried or anything to disciple you. That's also okay. Because community is not just a backup plan. It's also an extended family of sorts according to the Bible. The Bible says that it's like an extended family. 2 Timothy 2 says, You therefore, my child, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, and the things you've heard me go on about, entrust those to faithful men who'll be qualified to teach others as well. Paul refers to Timothy as his child, but they were not related. He's talking about a discipleship bond that's like family, just because they're in community together, like we are, And the way Paul raised Timothy in the faith, the main input was that he taught him stuff. I'll teach you what I know. And his guidance is, can you pay that forward, Timothy, and teach others who will teach others? That's what discipleship looks like. And I can really relate to that because I'm a teacher. I Actually, my job during the week is I'm a teacher. And what I'm doing now is teaching. And I did this at church full-time for 11 years. So I'm just teacher, teacher, teacher. My dad's a teacher too. Not a coinky-dink. Runs in the family. So when I care about people, I teach them. That's what I do. That's how I respond. I care about you, so I'm going to teach you this thing that I've already proved, this principle from the Bible that I already understand, this thing that I studied out, and I know the truth about that. I'm going to teach it to you, because I care about you. So... If you've got a few things that you've worked out, not everything, I get that, but you know, you've been through some stuff and when it comes to that, you've got it all sorted. You understand the Bible, you, you used it, you conquered that thing. Wouldn't it be great for you to get involved in active ministry and find someone else who's struggling and in the middle of that right now and say, hey, let's hang out. Nothing, just hanging out with purpose. Maybe there'll be an open opportunity, there'll be an open window for you to say something and teach them what you know, as much as you know, and maybe you could do that in a group. There are people in groups in the church right now who are waiting for you to join. They're waiting. They need to be discipled by you, or they're perfectly poised, ready to disciple you in exactly the stuff that you need, but you've got to actually go to a group to get there's always going to be people further ahead down the journey than you, right? And they can, you can receive discipleship from them. There's always going to be people who just came to know Jesus last week and don't know anything. You know, their Bible's all brand new, you know, when those pages stick together. And you can disciple them. There's always an opportunity for both giving and receiving discipleship. And in, in our church, most of that happens in groups, you've got to be open there are people who've been hurt I get that it's led you to be closed to protect yourself I get that it's very understandable but it's not very functional for your growth and healing you have a lot to offer other people thanks for listening we hope to see you in church again this weekend to find out more about our church, find us online at C3 Church Watson.